time you're uh, getting ready the day before or even the day of like today, somebody always has that one liner word of encouragement for you. And uh, that was from Brother Lewis uh, Clark this afternoon. He said, you know, he said, you know what Brother Ed says? And I said, no telling what. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, he says that this is America and not Papua New Guinea. He said, so they're not going to eat you afterwards. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, I appreciate that. You know, this is Texas. They just shoot me and be done with it, you know. But anyway, uh, good to be here tonight. Thank you so much for those who prayed. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Uh, a while back, we... Uh, we went through the book of Ephesians, and we, we broke it down into a few different parts, and um, I believe the Lord laid the book of Galatians on my heart to kind of do something similar with that. Um, wasn't really sure how many parts it was going to break down into. You know, I don't try to keep it at three. I don't try to keep it at five, seven, or anything like that. It just is what it is. Um but it came out to another three parts. And so tonight we'll look at that first part. And then, uh, Lord willing, the next time we'll look at part two. Um, but the book of Galatians, and there's been numerous studies on this book, okay? And I'm sure many of you have your own study of the book of Galatians. And I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm just going to tell you what the Holy Spirit gave to me these last few weeks. Um but as we look through the book of Galatians here, written by the Apostle Paul, okay, uh, Paul was addressing the issue here on how this body of believers had started mixing the law back into their faith, okay? They were getting, they had gotten off track with this. And so Paul is writing this to, uh, to rebuke that and to get them back on track, okay? So the first part that I see, what we're going to talk about tonight, is he addresses their focus, okay? We all, from time to time, even like at work, for example, something that we can relate to pretty easily, there are days where maybe we're just not quite on our game. We're not focused, okay? I don't mind telling you where I work, we had that today with a couple of people. And, you know, every once in a while, you need somebody to just kind of come up to you and say, you know, hey, get get with it, you know, get your stuff back together here and get focused again, you know, because you start, you start losing sight of things, of course, and then it affects your productivity and, you know, overall what you're there for. So Paul deals with uh, their focus here and trying to set them back on uh, on track, okay? Part two, and more the majority of the book, he breaks down their faith, okay? He goes into a deep dive like he did a lot in his writings, uh, going in depth with the faith and what the faith of the gospel really is. And then lastly, he talks about their fight because obviously, as we know, uh, the adversary isn't going to 
you know, take anything that we do in the Word of God sitting down lightly, okay? So, talks about our focus, he goes into the faith, and then concludes with a fight, fighting for what he is fighting for, the truth of the gospel, okay? And so, anyway, so there's a broad overview, and now we'll just dive down into uh, part one here in chapter one of Galatians. And uh, we see in verse six, Paul, in this opening passage here, the first few verses, uh, you, you can see that Paul, um, that this is really coming from his heart. He's, he's a little almost stern with these people, trying to get them back on track. And you'll see how he opens verse 6 here with uh, the words, I marvel, okay? I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And so being removed, they, they've, they've made this replacement Okay, and so Paul is, uh, they're, they're transferring out, they're kind of falling into a different doctrine, and so Paul says, you know, I marvel at this, you know, basically, how could you do this? You know, how is this even possible? And then he goes into verse 7, um, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him and called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Okay, and then he says, which is not another. So he says another gospel, and then he says, which is not another. Meaning, kind of, kind of insinuating to me that, you know, it's not possible to have another because, you know, if there was another, then the gospel wouldn't be the gospel. You know what I mean? So it is the good news. There is only one gospel. That's right. And then he says, but there be some that trouble you. Okay, so these people come along and maybe placing doubt in their minds, right? And then, and would pervert the gospel of Christ, okay? But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you uh, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then he follows up again in verse 9, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach in any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So if you didn't catch it the first time, that any other gospel preach, let that man be accursed, he repeats it. So he's making a point in the opening of the letter, okay? He's uh, he's not beating around the bush, he's going straight at it, okay? And so, uh, there is no other gospel. Um, let's see, oh, i got some notes in my Bible here, I can't follow them. And then verse 10, it says, For do I now persuade men... So after he drives straight into the problem, he starts asking these questions to kind of, you know, you know, it's good to make people think. You know, uh, we don't, we don't, well, you know, don't think too hard like me sometimes, but it is good to think. Kenzie was laughing. She'll tell you I think too hard sometimes. But, um, so he's asking these questions, making you think, okay? It's kind of like what, what, uh, um, I believe it was Brother Roger some time ago preached on a Wednesday night here about answering like hard questions and he looked at the Lord Jesus and how he would many times respond to a question with a question because when you question the uh, 
questionnaire, I guess you would call that, you then you, you, you start to take control of that conversation because whoever's asking the question is in control, right? And so in so doing, you're drawing out their, what they're really thinking, what they're really believing. And so anyway, uh, verse 10, I now pers- do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Almost indicating that, hey, these people that are coming to you with this garbage, you know, they're kind of just looking for a show for themselves. Okay? Because then he says, for if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Because the motive is wrong. Right? The motive is wrong, therefore the message is wrong. And so Paul is... Uh, going after it in this sense, and then um, over in chapter 6 there, let's see, chapter 6 and verse 10, you know, the question here is, let's see, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do it unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And uh, verse number 11 and 12, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand, as many as have desired to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only unless they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. And so Paul is saying that, you know, identifying, focusing on what is that motive that that person is coming to you, Okay. And you can do that by asking the questions the way he did. And then over in verse 11, he starts to reassure them, okay? He's attacked the problem, okay? And uh, the, the people that are being the problem, and now he starts to reassure them of the gospel that, he's, that he has preached to them. It says in verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Well, where did it come from? He said, it didn't come after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past. He starts to go into his testimony now. Okay? Um, For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure... I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. In case you're wondering, the word wasted just simply means to, to overthrow, okay, or to destroy it, all right? But when it, and profited into Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation uh, before being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by, my, by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, as Brother Lewis uh, preached a few Sunday nights ago, you know, words are important, right? So that's a good word right there to look up, the word conferred at the end of verse 16. Anybody want to give us a definition for that word? feel like I'm rolling, so I need to slow down with the question. It's like when you're written a 
large research paper, you know, and you're giving a presentation, mm -hmm. there's so much you want to get to that you're speed rolling right through the beginning. Brother Ed? Uh, I'll just scratch my ear, but... It's like an auction, man. If you go up here, you're, you're it. Okay, so when you confer with someone, it's like you are counseling with them. You're in a, it's like the word conference. You're conferencing together with someone, mm -hmm. getting some input. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, so in this context, he's saying that he's putting aside that flesh, that, um, I guess you might even say that old man, okay? That old man is no longer a part of um, a part of his spiritual decisions. Okay, his spiritual path. He is not relying on his flesh. Um, thank you, brother Ed. And then he goes further into his testimony, and then down towards the end of chapter one, he says, uh, "Afterward, 20, verse twenty-one. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria, and." Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So he hadn't been there, he hadn't met them yet. But they had heard only, okay, that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in him. Okay. I guess you could say that this would be like, uh, Somebody from Washington, let's say, uh, was it Clinton, you know? Uh, it'd be like, you know, we know her as she is today, but what if tomorrow a man of God or, or a woman, whoever, brought the gospel to her and she got saved? Okay? I'm just saying, uh, that might come up in conversation afterwards, but... Somebody like that, that they were aware of, you know, we've heard of this man, and now he's saved. First of all, I think I would be shocked, okay, going back into Paul's reference here. I think I would be pretty surprised, Brother Ed, that almost like, is this a setup? Not sure I would quite believe it, you know, until I saw some, uh, some fruit that he'd be producing, right? So, anyway, his testimony is bearing witness of where the true gospel comes from. All right? And then we go into verse uh, chapter 2, and he continues to explain some of his journeys, um, and even the uh, occasion where he rebuked Peter in the open. And uh, I can't help but think that in the context of this book, that he, he's obviously, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit led him to write this here, but I wonder if part of the application, Brother David, and this isn't scriptural, this is just my thinking, um, that the application that the Galatians could receive from this is that we do make mistakes and that it is good for us to be rebuked, okay? So, um, so Paul it's an example of how he took a stand for the truth of the gospel. And I'm trying to emphasize that phrase, truth of the gospel. Because these people, they claimed they knew the gospel. These people that came to this church, these churches, and they said, well, this is the gospel. 
it is faith mingled with the law. But Paul's saying, no, 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 the truth of the gospel. So I'm trying to emphasize that to you, if you haven't caught it already, that Paul is telling them what that truth is. And later down in verse number 21, the last verse of chapter 2, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And that word frustrate means to refuse or to reject or to throw away, meaning Paul saying that it's not possible for me to accept the gospel and to throw away grace, right? Because grace is what? It's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so when you take grace out of the equation, you don't have salvation. And so, and when you mingle faith, if you try to mingle faith with the law, you're having to pull out and throw away grace. Right? Because salvation, I've illustrated this before, and I got it from Adrian Rogers, God stretches down his hand of grace to us, okay? And then faith, when I acknowledge that I was a sinner, okay, and I ask Christ to trust me, I'm then taking my hand of faith up and grabbing hold of that grace, and we have the transaction, okay? There's no law with that. There's no, there's no works with that. And that transaction could not happen without grace. Paul is saying, I'm holding on to grace. Because I can't serve God, I can't preach the gospel if I throw away grace. He says, you're throwing away grace, you're, you're ignoring grace, and now, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, in application of that passage, you're now being prideful by mixing in the law, saying that if you keep the law, that, that is completing your faith. And it's simply not. And he dives into this deeper in the next part of the book when we go into... Um, and goes into deeper details of our faith, and we'll look at that. But I want to pause right there and take out some applications here as we talk about focus. Okay? And I, I my watch is broke. I'm not going to bring my phone up here. I don't know what time it is, but I'm pretty sure I'll leave plenty of time for you. Um, our focus. Okay? So the application of this. The application is not that we have a dangerous doctrine in here. That is not the application tonight. No. Thank God for the true preaching of the Word of God from Brother uh, Roger and Brother Ed. Um, but the application in terms of the focus, okay? If I'm going to follow somebody, there's two things i got to do, Sister Mary. Number one, i got to watch them. And number two, I have to listen to them. Because if I'm... If I'm listening, but I'm not watching, and I'm listening for him, but I'm looking over here, he might make a turn I don't know. Okay? So I have to be listening, and I have to be watching. Okay? And, um, again, this is about our focus in our Christian life. Looking unto Jesus. Okay? He's the key. For um, 
Looking to Christ is the key to holding on, to keeping that focus, okay? And looking to Christ is really illustrated a few different ways throughout the scriptures, okay? Um, let's go over to Numbers. Let's do a little Bible turn. Make sure everybody's still awake. Numbers chapter 21. Brother Ed went through this book not too long ago. Three parts of looking to Christ. One is actually past tense. The first one we talk about here, look to Christ. And then one is... For both of them, both of the other two are current, looking to Christ. Okay, the first one in how we look to Christ is, uh, this is a picture in the Old Testament. Um, this is in verse, in chapter 21 and verse number, where should we start? For sake of time, I don't want to read all of this. Let's start in verse 8. No, let's back up to verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray to the Lord that he make away the serpents from us. So this is, you know, when they're dealing with this. They were complaining and God put forth the serpents that when they, you know, repent of their sin, they acknowledged that. And now they are turning to Moses. Uh, and Moses prayed for the people in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And uh, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he believed, the, ser the serpent of brass, he lived. Okay? So, the, the, the picture is... is, um, is looking to the Lord Jesus for salvation, okay? Now, there's a whole message itself in what this picture, you know, if you dive into this picture out in the wilderness, but we look to the Lord Jesus for our salvation, okay? And by the way, I think that's an important day to remember. Not necessarily the exact time of day that it was, but at least the life events that day of. For me, it was right over here, and if we were in the building, I'd point to the pew, but where I stood, sat when Brother Roger was preaching about salvation, and it convicted me in my heart, and I asked the Lord Jesus that day to save me. So remembering that day, the, the events that surrounded that, maybe because of that you gave up this or that, whatever, and God transformed your life, it's great to keep that in mind, to keep your focus Keep that in your focus, because as long as you keep remembering what God did for you, you should have a continual attitude of gratitude for what he did. Yeah. And so looking, we looked to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the second way is looking during our walk, okay? So let's bounce over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter 14, we have the harmony of the Gospels where this, uh, uh, I don't want to say story, this account is in three different books. This is where Peter 
walked on the water. Matthew chapter 14, and uh, here around verse 27 and 30, uh, they're out there, they are afraid. Jesus comes walking out on the water. And then in verse 29, oh, back at verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Was the whole event an act of little faith on Peter, the holy thing. I would say no, because he got out of the ship and got on the water. That took faith. The problem, the little faith that Jesus references is when he took his eyes off of Christ. And the reason you take your eyes off of Christ in this case is you get distracted by something, you look over there, and you and uh, Peter was filled with fear. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he walked with confidence. He walked in faith. Because it doesn't say, it doesn't say that Peter came down out of the ship and was, and then immediately skips down to verse 31, or sorry, 30, he saw the wind. No. He says he came out of the ship and he walked on the water. Indicating that for some period of time, he had his eyes on Christ the entire time and then eventually took them off. And that that's that's the perfect uh, illustration of somebody who veers out of the church or away from the things of God after becoming saved. You know, they have that faith in the beginning and then they get distracted by the world. And that's also illustrated in the parable of the soils. Okay? And so looking unto Jesus Christ um, in our walk this is like through for the for the purpose of that sanctification. Okay? Because remember how when we broke down the different parts of salvation and sanctification is not a one time event. And that it is that everyday Christian life, living the victorious Christian life, as as Brother Ed illustrated out of the book of Joshua. And uh, you know, honestly when when Peter looks at the sea and the conditions around him and he sees that it is boisterous, and it's wild, it's crazy, you know, I, I think we all would have to agree that the world today is just a little bit wild. It's a little bit boisterous. It's a little bit crazy. And it's easy to get our minds stuck on all of that. And I have to confess, my mind has been stuck on it occasionally. I had to get my focus right. Okay. But those things those things come. There's there's always been situations in uh, in the world that that the devil sets up and uses to try to distract the church. Because he understands what the mission of the church is. Sometimes I think he understands the mission of the church better than some of the members of the church. 
and he knows what that church is there for and what they are trying to do in their community. And so every rock that he can throw to break a piece of the church, he's going to do. And he does that by using the world events. You know, honestly, today, in my opinion, um, I won't dwell on this long because it is my opinion, not scriptural necessarily, but turning off the news. You can tell where I where I work at. You can tell who comes in the office as as a new a new client who watches the news too much, you know. Um, and, and these people that come and say, "Did you hear what so and so said about such and such?" And you know, I like to be around some people that say, "Hey, I was reading over here, and this is what God said." You know, I'm kind of I'm more interested in in something that God says rather than so-and-so on Newsmax or whatever. And so filtering out those voices, those influences by keeping our eyes on Christ. And then the last one is is in the prophecies that we read about. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking for that blessed hope, that coming. So we look to Christ. We're looking at Christ. We should be. And we need to keep looking at him for the future coming. He set it up for us. He's the one that died on the cross and made all of this possible. And it's just a matter of us keeping our focus and keep listening to his word, to the preaching of his word. And then uh, with that, man, God can use us. He can open a door, whether it be to, to be a blessing to somebody that's moving to the area or, or, or maybe spreading the gospel to somebody with some of the tracks that we have, little cars. But why should God give us those opportunities if I'm not going to keep my eyes focused on Him? Because He needs me to be focused on Him and not myself or something else. So that's the application um, of Galatians 1 and 2. Paul goes in, and uh, it's the nail on the head, in my opinion. He wasn't beating around the bush. He went straight after it. Kind of like almost slapping them on the side of the face, Brother David, saying, wake up, you know, and uh, get your stuff together, as some people would say. And so, uh, Lord willing, the next time I'm up, I will... Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at part two, the faith that Paul dives into, and we'll look at how he broke that down, and uh, we'll go from there. All right? Lord willing, unless he changes my mind and we move on. Any comments or questions?